0: Hello and welcome to Groovecast, the podcast for the rhythm section with me Ashley Walker and me Charlie Smith and uh, in today's episode we're going to talk all about um, recording and um, sort of the different uh, points of view and um, kind of what we think about when we go into recording and um, it's sort of perfect uh, timing really because I know you've been doing quite a lot of recording lately. Uh, in the studio.
1: Yeah, very topical indeed. Um, but, uh, yeah, so as we record this, I've just not long finished doing uh, drum sessions for the uh, uh, an upcoming Martin Stevenson and the Dainties album, which is as yet untitled. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I haven't even heard any of the songs. I've, all I've got, <laughs> as, as we'll get into, is I just went and laid the drums down with some uh, very rough demos, and I'll hear the finished product, as is often the case, when it's finished. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I did two days' worth of sessions up in uh, a place called Blank Studios, which is in Newcastle. Um, and I've done the last two dainties, uh, sort of big project albums, up there, and a few interim things I've done here at home. But the uh, the big the bigger projects we 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 tend to record um, up there. And so, yeah, we just thought it'd be a good idea to uh, sort of talk about our kind of approach and our almost process of um, getting into, you know, as you said, how we how we work through a session, um, whether mm. it's as as I tend to as a sideman or for you doing it as both a, a sideman or as a, a bit more of a an artist, you know, writing mm. your own stuff and and seeing it from because I suppose you kind of self-produce your own things from that side Mm. of it so yeah so that's as as we speak that's the most recent recording project for me and we'll no doubt go into a bit more detail shortly but um how about yourself what what have you been up to studio wise lately
0: well it's funny sort of um yeah because we've both been doing quite a lot of recording I'm sort of been more obviously on the side of the remote recording still and um uh, doing it here at home on on logic and all that kind of thing um but yeah obviously like uh I think it was earlier this year I released my first album and pretty much since then in between the cruises and stuff I've been trying to uh get some more material together for a, another album so um it's been yes a lot of recording as well just in a different um in a different way and uh yeah I know um we've had some mutual friends who have uh getting to play on it as well and um uh yeah it's like you said with although I've done a little bit of that sort of sideman thing it's sort of I have been more on the other side of it um where it's like I know we're going to get into sort of your different approaches and some of the things you've had to think about when going into sessions because you've been asked to play a certain way or give me a certain uh, art, uh drummer feel or whatever and it's like on side of it now especially with this next album and using more sort of live musicians and stuff i'm kind of on that side of it of (laughs) sort of knowing roughly what you want and um i would be interested to know sort of with your um the recording stuff uh that you've done with uh, the dainties and stuff um martin stevenson um sort of what like you were kind of alluded to then what you're given before you go into a session because i know with the live setup it's very much um Sort of on the fly and everything, and I wonder if it's similar with the recording yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean it is <laughs> basically. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I went into those two days of sessions, um, and I hadn't heard a single thing. I, I I was got totally blind. Didn't hear anything before I got there really, um, and we did. We just did it all on a sort of a track by track basis, whereby it would either be something like. Uh, some, if it was something Martin had already done some pre-production on, where he'd got a recording of it together, or he might have got a couple of players on it and done a rough demo, or mm. um, something like that, he might. Some of it was even fairly finished before, and he was wanting to add more drums or change what had been done on 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 if he'd used a MIDI drums or whatever. So there was a few songs like that whereby I would sit in the control room, I'd listen down them with. A pencil and a bit of manuscript paper and quick, quickly chart them out and um, I'll try and remember when we put this episode yeah. out to share a couple of pictures of the, the sort of thing that I mean here where it's it's really not, it, it's a very scribbly kind of chart just to get you through the song because at the end of the day you're hearing it and then you're going to go on straight and record it. Mm. So I would listen through it once, maybe twice if there was something I really wanted to hear um, and then i would go through and um we basically lay it down straight away there and then Mm -hmm. um the uh the 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 kind of workflow with that was was just that that you do it on the spot you know and martin's very wanting it uh free and wanting it kind of just to have some some life and some breath into it and so everything's three takes and less you know there's no more no more than that going on um really as far as what what i'm doing um and you know as as we'll go into a bit more in a bit about edits and things but it's usually it's a three take job and i might have a chart beforehand on a couple of the songs he hadn't even recorded anything so he was just he just sent me in the studio and said oh i was thinking this is a guitar part and here's roughly the chord change and what would you what would we think as a feel and we would just i'd just Mm. come up with something on the spot and might it might work it might not and we'd discuss it just through through the talk back really and we'd do a take uh we set a click up and going and we'd do a take just me in the room and then him in the control room with guitar and a vocal mic just to play through the, the whatever he had in mind and you know he was laying down just rough lyrics and ideas at the same time as well as talking me through the song you know and saying we're going to a bridge we're going here you know we're going to do this let's do a stop and it was so it was really organic and you know with that every take was different because you would do it and you'd go yeah we like that that worked that worked and then we might t- turn around and go oh the end was a bit messy let's refine that and we would just redo the end so we might do the last four bars eight bars and This is where we get into something which tends to be referred to as drop-ins, which (laughs) is uh, where basically doing a little edit on what you've just done. So if you get a master take together or a take that you're happy with and you might go, oh, there was one little fill in there that I think could be better thought out or I preferred doing this little section and you might just go back and do four bars, eight bars, 16 bars and that would be it and you just that gets edited into the the mix to make a final track and some you do that on sometimes you don't but that with martin at least tends to be the process of just being as blind as a bat going in there and just you know getting thrown getting, getting anything thrown at you which is what what it ended up being yeah so i mean how yeah. would you approach it from your standpoint when you're writing a tune and getting someone in as i know you have been um hmm. and you know conveying to them what you want to hear is it something where you're going to give them a listen through do they get the are you sending tracks out in advance what sort of what sort of where are you working it for you as a as an artist
0: yeah well it's interesting um because you'll know yourself because uh, um with sort of tracks that's probably going to end up being on this next album that I've sent to you where you know I've had you in mind on uh, playing drums on them and um so it's kind of similar with although none of them are exactly the same but i know um uh we'll have a little name drop to our mutual friend ashley squires because uh he's just been over uh at time of recording a, a couple of weeks ago doing a bit of the, uh, some of the stuff for the album and um with sort of the drum side of it obviously on on the recording software you can do the uh you know you sort of um software drums and that kind of thing to give you a rough feel and and you can program them in as well to kind of give you as accurate as as accurate kind of feel as you want so with that kind of thing you you do have a rough idea of it and um but with the sort of guitar side of it and with what ash ended up playing on um you know i'm not i can play a bit of guitar but i can't play the style of guitar that i want on a funk album so um he kind of but probably was going in a little bit similarly to what you were describing there as going in blind except um usually in the past when i've done stuff like that and had people play on my stuff they'll usually have at least the track to have heard before and have an idea of it um and in some instances they'll have some music as well to know to just read it and play it and um i know we've mentioned in the past uh so we won't mention it too much but in the sort of remote recording stuff we did and um on the the things like the fun and games video we did with that you know like uh, and snake davis playing on that we s- would have sent him a chart and so he'd kind of have a very good idea of what would be and obviously with that being a cover as well but um yeah with from my side of it it is sort of sending over a rough dem a rough mix of it to the people and then um as you know will happen with this album over the next few months probably with me and you and other people when you can't always meet in person you know just going back and forth doing the remote recording and like you say getting something that's kind of getting nearer to what you want and um and it with some of the tunes you know like you know exactly what you want and on some of them you kind of there's no drums on it or there's no guitar on it so you're just kind of pretty open to interpretation and then usually you're the person will interpret it and then you go, "Oh no, that's not what I wanted," or something, even though you didn't really know. But um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to hear about um, yeah your uh, thing. I, that's what I was wondering with because um, I know with your that kind the gig that uh, the the kind of accompanies that recording with uh, Martin Stevenson. It's all as you, the word you use there, which is very good, organic. Um, it's, uh, I wondered if that with the recording side of it, it was um, sort of doing stuff in one take all the way through a tune or, or dropping stuff in or
1: yeah, I mean it's a, it's a combination. It depends, because as I say with Martin he doesn't want a lot of takes. He just wants it to still feel fresh, which which is mm. great and um, it is just a slightly different way of, of doing things. And it's trying to find a balance between him wanting it to sound a bit a bit fresh and a bit bit new and also me being a bit of a perfectionist and wanting it to sound good. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, you know, as a as a player, you really hyper-analyse what you do. And so mm. there was times when we were in the, in the studio where I'd be making mental notes as we tracked something of going, mm, I wasn't happy with that, that shouldn't have happened, could try something different there. And then I'd get to the end of the take and Martin would go, great, I was really happy with that. Let's move on. And I'd go yeah. for a listen and actually, Because really even though when you've got the stuff going through your headphones and you've got a a bit of stuff going on, you can only really tell when you listen to it in the control room and you're not playing what works and what doesn't. It's like everything Mm. in the the room, for me at least, is a bit more guesswork of this, I think this will work and I can hear this in the tune, but it's no guarantee that it'll work. You know, And it's no guarantee that what I'll think will be right will be. But it's a very collaborative yeah. kind of effort that will... We, we, particularly with Martin, we work on it together, of getting mm. what he wants and also trying to, for me, get get things to a, a place where I'm really happy with them. But that's... it's It just depends on, on the track. Some of them were, were one takes. Some of them were a couple of takes and a couple of drop-ins. Some of them were you know a little bit more um involved in that we did maybe did a couple of layers of things which we'll come on to shortly of, la- of layering parts up as being a, a different mm. way of recording to just laying a track down and leaving it but
0: yeah um yeah it's interesting um yeah like you say there when it's uh especially i mean on the sideman side of it and from the standpoint of when it's your track as well i with them sort of knowing when you made a mistake and or or something that you think you could play better or whatever i just remember with my album um because it was all sort of mostly recording everything at the start of 2021 it was kind of almost a year really between it being recorded and then it being released because um we sent it off to be mastered uh by a professional a guy who uh, my dad's worked with in the past and we'd like seen his stuff and um loved the end result of it but it was just this endless thing of with some of the tracks there was like little faults on it and with um because it was uh, the vast majority of it was loops and stuff with some of the loops in the sort of um uh, exporting process you'd uh, it'd start to pick up little uh, yeah faults and um lagging things and and then so we'd get a couple of them we got back and there were these little mistakes on them and I could hear them but I was trying to explain to my dad or to other people like can you not hear that but they obviously don't know the context of it and I'd sat there and kind of been writing and recording them in a really um stripped back way so I kind of know what everything like is doing on there um so and how it should have sounded or how it sounded when it was played in um so yeah it was a kind of a little bit of an endless process of back and forth and and then like you say it's um Uh, you know in the perfectionist thing or in your own mind it's like with me with those tracks and anything I do um whether it be singing or playing bass or like if I know it's something I'm going to be stuck with or I'm going to be listening to again and again or if it's my album whatever um if there's like a little mistake that you can't nobody else notices the just point is that I'm going to notice it and it's going to irritate me every time I listen to that track again and again or well, that's the other. I'm thing. sure it's the same. It's with, it's uh, that with you,
1: you you want these tracks and whatever you do to be to a point where you can be happy to hear them. Uh, you know, in a year, in five years, ten years, that you can listen back and go, "Yeah, I'm still happy with that." You know, there might be things that you would have done differently in hindsight, as there always is. It's always interesting when I'm with my granddad and we listen to something he played on 30 years ago, and sometimes he just laughs at what what was what he did at the time which was right at the time and it was the way he was working at the time but he would listen to it now and go I wouldn't play that today you know he wouldn't come up with Mm -hmm. that nowadays and that's kind of the the thing that you get with the sort of age and experience but also just the the way that trends and uh, fashions change in terms Mm -hmm. of whether it's whether it's the sound of something or the way that you do it you know um it's but it is, it's, it's something you just want to be happy with um, and sometimes you do have to get to a point where you go, only I'm going to ever be able to hear what I was thinking and no one else will and you just have to, for me at least, especially when it's not your work, you've got to kind of accept, kind of accept it and sometimes you'll play on something and think that was terrible. And you know I wasn't happy with it at all. And then you'll hear the the the, the project a few months later, and there it'll be, and you'll go, actually it mm. does work. It sounds good. There was a a, a case of this on the last Dainty's album where one of the tracks was a, a bit really a throwaway take. Um, I'd done the drums, and then I can't remember if it was Martin or the engineer or someone turned around and said, oh, I'll tell you what, this would sound great as a sort of a Dave Brubeck take five sort the of groove even though it's it was in 4-4 but that kind of ride cymbal snare bouncing off each other thing so i just did one take of it and went and you know ambled through it and went oh yeah that, that might work it might be all right didn't think any more of it and of course which take did they use on the final recording it was that one um and it was just so you'll hear little things like that sometimes um in fact on this last project we did a similar thing where we we had um we'd recorded the track, we'd come up with the feel and got it, so Martin was happy with it, and and then I, when we were out on the floor doing the take, he started running through the chords, and it just, the way that he was playing them reminded me of like a, a, a Pete Townsend, The Who sort of thing, and so I just tried, you know, without even thinking of it, just sort of jamming along with what he was doing in between takes, went for kind of a Keith Moon sort of bombastic, you know, out there, busy feel. Um, and the next thing I know is, is I just hear Martin down the top back saying, let's do it like that. And so even though we'd already done it, the second version of that with all of that going on turned out to be the the way to do it. So it's like, it's it's one of those things where, you you know, you you can never get it, always get it right first time. Sometimes it takes a couple of takes, sometimes it takes a few ideas and mm. a bit of back and forth before you actually decide on things but what I like with working with Martin is he's not just he's the artist I'm the sideman there's definitely a creative back and forth between us that will will bounce ideas around and will you know the engineer will, will be in with that as well chipping in little things of why don't we try this why don't you try that um whether it's in terms of the tracks or even in terms of the sound so you know going in the studio as a musician you've got to be kind of prepared as we say to have anything thrown at you so for those sessions I took a couple of snare drums a couple of cymbals so that when you know as you say a reference point like oh uh, early Beatles sort of Ringo early 60s vibe I can go Mm. yeah I know I'm going to play for that let's get the right snare drum put the right cymbals up to get to evoke that kind of sound so there mm. is this one one or two tracks on the on the album that we've just done which are, are Beatles things there's that Keith Moon track there's something which is a bit more of a sort of late 70s rock rock type track that was a, a, a different thing and it just depends what you were what you're kind of doing to you know you might hear something in your head or you might hear what they're saying and you'll go what's the best pass and path. And for you, I suppose it's the same using, you know, what bass would sound right. Would it be a, a fretless or a fretted, um, a passive mm. or an active bass? you know, what full string or five string, all of that would be probably cycling through your mind as you're writing or putting something down.
0: Yeah. I know on sort of the thing with being more on the sideman thing, I've done a few, um, projects for other people where, um, like a couple of years ago I did something and the guy had written this song and he said oh it's like I kind of hear it as this level 42 thing so I instinctively I think I might have even used my precision bass not my jazz bass but um it's sort of I could get a bit more of a marking kind of sound and um um so instantly went up to uh had it sort of set to a uh, sort of more snappy and poppy sound and then and just slapped it and everything and and he was like yeah that's exactly what i want and then um i know with um with a couple of other things i've done uh there was a track uh, we did um for our another mutual friend james groves um when he did uh, i can't remember when i think it was just before the lockdowns or something he was doing a track that was a ballady thing and in he kind of was one of those things where it was open to interpretation um and after listening to it it was kind of I think it, it felt like naturally a bit of a piano paladino kind of thing where you know you do do those sustained notes and everything but you kind of have a little play around and it, he was like yeah that's what I exactly what I wanted but he didn't kind of know um what the, the sort of what to ask for and it was like oh yeah that is what I want um and then on the side of it of with my album and stuff and um, especially like the latest stuff I've been doing, it's I kind of knew with um, Ash Squires coming around, it was with us though. Some of those the tracks that I've been doing are, are certainly like a seventies throwback kind of thing. And when you listen to all those sort of uh, Love's theme Barry White and um, some of the average white band stuff, you've always got to at least to uh, pick up the pieces. You've at least got two guitars, one doing like the chords, the, like sort of Nile Roger style guitar. Um, and then you've always got another one um that's kind of doing the low sort of little riff thing that uh like which it just gives it so much um i don't know just feel and groove and with my stuff it's kind of even though i didn't have any guitars on there already i knew i wanted on a few of them um that kind of thing and what what you were saying there which is interesting was with the the project you've been doing where they like um less takes and everything and it's like with some of the tracks that i was doing with ash it was like some of it it was just a straight playthrough and um and and just one guitar on the track and then another track we did it was like trying different ideas and just let layering and layering up different guitars and stuff and then just because you know it's better to have too much than not enough and then you can go in and have a little play with it and stuff and um but yeah it's yeah absolutely and that's when it's um as a musician it's you know you do learn a lot from those things where it is like you don't don't want to be asked I'll oh, give me this and you haven't got enough to do that or, Yeah, <laughs> you know
1: and as you say you know talking about layering it up there brings us on quite nicely to to a point I was going to get into about about it being more than just one layer and i know that you in fact uh, in fact i think it was on the uh, fun and games thing with snake you did two different base takes one for the the groove and one for your solo with a different a different bass, and that's you know key example of getting the right feel in the right sound mm-hmm. using the right gear and also again on the, the uh, on a couple of recording things I've done where you've, you might lay up a couple of snares or you might lay up uh, you might do a take where it's all ride cymbal and then you might put some hi-hat on I mean the classic example to listen to is if you listen to um, Called Skaggs' uh, lowdown, and that's Jeff Bacaro on drums, and he's got two hi hats going on. He recorded the hi hat twice so that he could get this, um, and they panned hard left, hard right to get a really nice spread of of sound. And they're doing different things. They're both playing sixteenths, <laughs> but it's when they're opening and shutting they're doing a different different thing. And sim- similar with with what I do. You know, there was a track on the on the last album where we we did a, a take and then laid up a military snare on top because that's what mm. someone said, oh, I could hear a, a nice military sort of snare sound on this. So we did. We did a full take of, of that and and it sounded great, you know, and put that on. Then as we were doing that, someone says, oh, why don't we put shaker and tambourine on? So I did two takes of those. So it really built up this sound to get that kind of feel going on. Mm. Or, you know and then you might add some percussion you might add congas or or uh, some latin percussion which is definitely something i know we've been talking about for your upcoming project which is probably be my next big sort <laughs> of long-term recording project we'll be getting some ideas for that and you know for some of the tracks that might be what's what we do we'll put some percussion on we'll put some different ideas down just to get some some cool sounds and You know, it kind of works both ways. On the previous Dainties project, there was a song called The Boy's Heart, which I think we did about five overdubs on. So I laid the track down, and there was like this tribal tom idea going through it. So I I did it with the kit, and then I got three floor toms, tuned them down as low as they could go, did another take of the same groove, so that you were almost getting the octave lines between the two, or uh, an interval between the two. And then I got a bass drum, turned it on its side and hit it with a big mallet and did a take of that. Then added to a take of tambourine and, again, built up the, the soundscape. And mm. I think with that, the engineer double-tracked everything so that it got this really big, thundering sort of... made it sound like a group of 20 drummers rather than just me in, in the room. And that's kind of the magic mm. of the studio, that you can do things like that, that you could never really replicate live to that extent. You can to a point, but mm. to get that sound, it's something you can only really do in the studio.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like it's Something I was thinking about as you were you're talking there with... Um like you say there at the studio you can do stuff that you can't do live and with the stuff that I've been recording and some funk stuff and like on for this uh, next album and then um, there's been a couple of other things that I've been doing um, which are intended to be played in kind of a different uh, lineup or a different setup if you like and it's like you kind of do stuff recording that sounds great and some of them are kind of concept pieces so you might have all these loops and stuff. And, but like with a lot of this stuff, it's kind of intended to be played live, and you have to kind of think, okay, well, if this was in a band setup, what would the lineup be? What would we be able to, you know, be able to um, replicate live? But um, I mean, it always, um, you know, you think about those things, and then you go and see someone like Victor Wooten with just him and Dennis Chambers and uh, and his sax player, and then they've got all sorts of stuff going on and loops, and and uh, and it kind of fills you with confidence, but. And then you kind yeah. of
1: there's the other side of it where you look at it and you go, Oh yeah, you know, I might play two or three basses on a on a single track in the studio. No one would ever do that live and then you see Marcus Miller changing basses yeah. within a yeah, song yeah, yeah. three times. Because you can. You know, and because well, it, he knew what he was doing that for to get a certain <laughs> thing.
0: Yeah, it was interesting like on that thing as well of different basses, which again it's just it's this thing of being a musician, you never stop learning and never stop you know, improving. I think we'd all kind of agree. Like, no matter your age or whatever, it's like in a year from now, you probably look at some stuff you played this year and think, "I could do that ten times better." Oh, or totally. I look at things I um, played
1: last week and think that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, so it's like learning about different things and things you didn't think, oh, can you do that? And I know one of the stories I was told was on, um, I think it was the uh, Runaway uh, by Jamiroquai. Um, paul Turner um on uh, on that track he starts i think in the verses he's playing on his his, Fent- his p bass or something or on a bit more of a rounded kind of sound bass and then when it gets to the chorus uh, he was talking to another bass player about it and the other bass player was saying like it's amazing how do you like what are you doing differently technique wise and what it like because in the chorus it sounds so more zingy and everything he's like i just got my stingray bass and i just used that for that part it's like what i've been trying for years to try and replicate that sound and you've just cheated he's like yeah well we're just playing around the studio just trying different sounds and i think he had done one whole take on his stingray and one whole take on his jazz and they just merged the two and um yeah it's something that i've again with the learning thing it's like something that i've sort of started to do myself on certain tracks you know you get to a certain point in it and it's a different in some tracks and it's a might have a different feel, and you think, "Oh, this doesn't sound like a stingray now, or this doesn't sound like the jazz bass. This sounds like it could be done on a Hofner or yeah, <laughs> whatever."
1: Well, it is, and it's it's things like that where you could you can do it because you're in the studio. It's like if you know, for argument's sake, like changing a snare drum or the snare sound between verses and choruses. It's easy done when you've got two snares, but you don't always want to do that in the studio because you've got loads and loads of buzz and ringing from both of them. So you might do it with, as you say, a take with one snare or at, at one tuning, and then you might do a take and just go. Oh, we'll go back and do the choruses with a more of a a really big, deep, thuddy, open snare sound. And you'll you'll you know there's a couple of little tricks to get that sound. Um, one of which I learned off my good pal uh, Neil Wilkinson, who I think in turn had took it off of. Um, the legendary British session drummer Kenny Clare which is about taking two of the the tension rods on a snare drum that are nearest you and just turning them all the way out so that you get a really big deep sound but you still get the tone and the playability of a tight a tighter head and I think it's the kind of the same thing as is it the the James Jameson thing of putting a bit of sponge around your bass to get that kind of more um, or sort of less attacky sound you can probably mm. talk a bit more about that but just even using one instrument and getting a different sound with it
0: yeah i know um i know some play uh, bass players do the thing where they um they put what looks like a sort of sweat band or whatever around the the top of the bass to stop the ringing and everything and it, um yeah I, I just know with um sort of like something lawrence cottle talks about which is the the think it's the ghost thumb or the wandering thumb or whatever he calls where you or the hook thumb or and I think James Jameson might have been one of the first to do that where you're always um, muting the strings as you're going along Um, but yeah it's this like like you say it's it's, it can either be different basses different instruments or just different techniques or um, or different styles of playing and which is something that I've really experimented with with my original stuff it's like certain things like um, tracks like I did like um, there's one called baggage claim and I was trying to get a more of a Jacko Pistorius sound and and there's like little bits where i'm kind of playing a, a version of the chicken or and then on uh, a couple of other tracks it's like trying to do a bit of a marcus miller slap thing um, and uh, yeah so it can either be different instruments or different uh, techniques
1: yeah it's just as you, as we say it's, it's finding the right fit for the right thing and sometimes mm. it, it's a case of a lot of work sometimes it's just a case of the way you play it you know how you do it and the the approach that you take as a player without changing anything sound wise just the way that you do something the way that you hit it play it pick it whatever and it'll it'll lean you towards a certain sound Mm -hmm. um and you know there's there's kind of masters of that someone like steve gadd who knows how to pull every ounce of sound out of a single drum without doing anything to it Mm -hmm. which is kind of you know the the level we all aspire to get to and you know there's definitely bass players like Pino or whoever are exactly the same of being able to get the whole sound out of that bass no matter what they're wanting to do you know and it's just it is it's just working down and, and getting that capability by doing it and finding all of these different ideas and that's kind of the thing of being a good session musician is just being able to do what find what the artist wants whether or not they know that that's what it is mm. that they're after you know and there's some things as you say where you do know what you want and there's some things you don't and there's things where you might think you know what you want and then you'll try something else and go oh actually that's better than what i had yeah. in mind in the first place and it just kind of depends. i hope you've
0: enjoyed uh, this edition of groovecast um and uh, i guess we'll see you next time